Okay, Ecclesiastes. Looks like we are all just about there. Okay, who here is a type A planner? Who likes to plan? Who wants, we got, yes you are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Me too, me too. I'm that way. I, I like to have a plan and I like to stick with it. You know who's not really like that? My beautiful wife. She's more play it by ear, we'll go, we'll figure things out. And it always works out for her, doesn't it? But it drives me just a little crazy sometimes. Because I like to know what's coming in the future. I like to have an, a plan for it to go from point A to point B, and I'm going to stick to it. You know what I'm feeling? You know where I'm at? I want to know the future. You want to know the future? I'm about to wrestle the future, hold it in my hands, and know what's coming. And know what's coming. You know who else wanted to know the future? A man in 1900, Jean-Marc Cote, the World's Fair was in Paris, and Jean-Marc was tasked, you need to predict what will happen by the year 2000. It should be easy, don't you think? That's what I like to do. I want to predict. I want to know what's coming in my future. I want to be able to hold on to it, seek my teeth into it. And so Jean-Marc said, this is what's going to happen by the year 2000. He says, firefighters will fly around with bat wings. Didn't quite make that one. He says, by the year 2000, we will have flying cars everywhere. And they will have big wings. They'll flap them like this as they fly through the sky. They'll say, hey, there, there's a, a new sport that is sweeping the world. Underwater seagull fishing. I know, how does that work? So the picture is, they have scuba gear and they have a big gun and they swim under the ocean they see seagulls flying and they shoot them from underwater. Says that's, anybody want to do that? Okay, you, 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 you can have that. You can have all of that. And then the weirdest one, he said, by the year 2000, I, I, I see into the future and by the year 2000, we will domesticate whales and we will use them as transportation. How we doing? How we doing with that? Not even close. I think you're right. Not even close. And what's the problem? Sean Mark, you silly man. Can we predict the future? No, of course not. How much of the future can we predict? That's the question we're going to talk about today. How much of the future can we have in our hands? King Solomon is going to teach us, as he's taught us the last several weeks, that the future is smoke. What do we mean by that? He might call it vanity in your Bible. He might call it meaningless in your Bible. Your Bible might say breath. We say smoke. So Solomon is going to say, your future, the details of your future, are smoke. Meaning, you see it out there. Smoke is billowing up. It looks like something is there. I mean, it's not, it's not totally empty. It's not totally gone. There is a future there. But it's not something that you can come and grab a hold of. And say, yes, this is what's going to happen. I know my kids are going to turn out this way. I know my marriage is going to turn out this way. I know my job is going to turn out this way. I have nothing to fear. Solomon says, the future... Is not like that. And we know that's true, don't we? But as planners, we might want to fight that a little bit. Let's ask 
Let's ask two questions today. Let's ask, what is the future like? Why is the future smoke? And then let's ask, how do we as followers of Jesus, how do we live a life in which the details of our future are smoke? So, join me if you will. Ecclesiastes chapter 7. So big number 7, little number 14. Chapter 7, big number 7, little number 14. We're going to read to little number 24 together. Let's read together about our future. In the day of prosperity, be joyful. And in the day of adversity, consider. God has made the one as well as the other. So that man may not find out anything that will be after him. Anything coming in the future. In my vain life, in my smoky life, he says, I have seen everything. And if you've been with us the last several weeks, you know he's seen everything. He's seen everything. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness. That doesn't seem right. And there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in evil doing. That doesn't seem right. How's this one, church? Should we say this in church? You ready? Verse 16. Be not overly righteous. What does he mean by that? And do not make yourself too wise. You can't say these things in church. Why should you destroy yourself? Be not overly wicked, neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? Verse 18. It is good that you should take hold of this and come from with, and, and from that withhold not your hand, for the one who fears God shall come out from both of them. Wisdom gives strength to the wise man more than ten rulers who are in a city. Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Amen? Do not take to heart all the things people say, lest, your servant, lest you hear your servant cursing you. Your heart knows that many times you yourself has cursed others. All this I have tested by wisdom and said, I will be wise. But it was far from me. That which has been is far off and deep. Very deep. Who can find it out? Okay, future is smoke. Future is smoke. Why is the future smoky? The first thing Solomon says is, our future is smoky because your future is about God. Not about you. He has made your future for Himself. Your future is smoky. You can't know exactly what's coming because you are not the main character of your story. I'm training my girls up in the opposite way. When I tell them a bedtime story, who's the main character? They are. We're not the main character of our story. Your future and my future serves to advance 
God's story. He is the prime mover. It means He's the first one. He's the one who gets everything started. He is the uncaused cause of all things that will happen in your future. What does He say? Preach it, boy. That's my boy up here. Preach it with me. What does He say? Solomon says, good days, bad days, mediocre days, days you experience tremendous victories and days you experience tremendous suffering, all of them have been lovingly crafted by the God who built the universe. It says good days, bad days. Solomon says this, God has made both. He's made both of them. God has made each day. And the Bible says He hasn't just made this day. He has already made the next day and the day after that. All of them are in His will and planned out by the prime mover. Every detail in every day is under His control. That jostle our hearts a little bit too. Who can stop the will of God? No one. Everything we experience comes through the hands of God. He doesn't watch each day unfold and say, man, I sure hope this this day comes out the way I planned it. He doesn't have binoculars to examine the future. Say, well, I think this is going to happen. I'm pretty sure this is going to happen in the future. That's not how he works. He isn't surprised. He isn't scrambling to catch up. He has constructed he has made each day he's made each day and when we know god through jesus that is comforting isn't it when we know the character of god that's a comforting thing now i know this jostles our hearts Something like this, we might want more than just a few verses in Ecclesiastes about God's sovereignty over every day. He has made every day. Well, let me give you a few more. Job 42.2 says it this way, I know that you, God, can do anything and no plan of yours can be thwarted. That great, especially, isn't that great, especially if we have salvation in Jesus Christ? His plan is to save sinners by the sacrifice of His Son and give them an inheritance forever. Guess what? His plan can't be thwarted, Christian. Isn't that good news? Proverbs 16.4 says it this way, the Lord has prepared, this one's going to jostle our hearts, the Lord has prepared everything for His purpose, even the wicked for the day of disaster. It's a tough one. Jostle our hearts a bit. He's in control of all things. How about this? Proverbs 16.33 The lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. Even if you take some dice, you roll them on the ground, God is in control of the outcome. You go buy a lottery ticket, you win, you don't win, who's in control? God. God. 
Proverbs 21.1 says it this way, A king's heart is like a stream of water in the Lord's hand. He directs it wherever He chooses. God's in control. God is in control. When, when someone comes and harms you, when your boss is giving you a very difficult time, when your coworker is giving you a very difficult time, is the, are, they, are their hearts out of God's control? No. Are they ultimately in control about how they, how, they, how they handle your position at your job? Are they ultimately in control about whether or not you have a job tomorrow? Are they ultimately in control? No. The Creator and Sustainer of the universe who loves you is in control. Isn't that good news? So why? Our future is smoky first because it's not about us, it's about God and, and we don't know what's coming because it's about God. God's going to do what God does so what is he ultimately building? He's building these days out in front of us, in front of all of us. What is he doing? He is, what is his purpose for the future? His purpose for the future, two things. First, to reveal his glory. That's the purpose by which we all exist. Every molecule in the universe exists to the glory of God. What does that mean? What does that mean? When we say something is glorious, when we glorify God, when we come to sing together. By the way, when I first came, Joel Frazier was on the, the pastor search committee, and I asked, what does this church do well? He might remember this. He said, this church sings well together. And Darren, I'm going to out Darren. Darren came and we talk about church stuff. He says, you know what? This church sings well together. They sing loudly. And I want to thank you. You know what I saw today? I saw my five-year-old daughter. She is singing these songs. We don't sing all these at home. Who's she hearing? You. What are we doing when we sing these songs together? Singing in a group of people kind of can feel weird, can't it? Why do we do weird stuff like that? Because we are so convinced that God is glorious that we can't help but sing. That's the point. Glory, when we glorify God, when we sing together, when someone is after God's glory, it means that we are trying to pull the curtain back to reveal how valuable God really is. That's what it means to glorify Him. So God, for every day, every molecule, every moment, His intention and purpose is to glorify Himself, is to reveal to the universe how awesome and, and great and valuable He is. Sound weird? It might sound weird. But listen, this is what the Bible says. We see it all sorts of places, but here's one big one. Isaiah 43, 6-7 says this. You ready? About the glory of God. He says, Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth, everyone who is called by my name, who I created for my glory. Christian, you were created to reveal how valuable God is, how good He is, how merciful He is. Jesus says this before the crucifixion, Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify Your name. 
That's why Jesus came to the cross, to glorify the Father's name, to show how valuable God is, to show that the cross displays the value of God and His mercy and grace and justice. It's to shout to the world how awesome God is. That's the primary purpose. And as we look into the future, we don't know the details, but here's one thing we know for sure. The future is going to be filled with the glory of God. Habakkuk 2.14, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. How much do the waters cover the sea? All of it. That's what makes it the sea. God's purpose for the future of everything is so all people and all creatures, what are we saying? All creatures will see the glory of of God. Now, might jostle our hearts a little bit. God is for His glory. My jostle, but here's why this is the best thing that we could ever hope for. Okay? This is why God being for His glory is the best thing you could ever hear. Let's pretend that I'm like God. Let's pretend I'm like God and I am the source of everything you could ever want. Pretty close, right? Yeah? No. Let's pretend that's me, okay? I'm the source of everything that's ever going to be good for you. I'm the source of healing for your diseases. I'm the source of healing for your marriages. I'm the source of your immortality. I'm the source of you having an eternity of immeasurable riches. I'm the source of you experiencing unending and ever-increasing spectacular joy. I'm the source of all these things. And if that's true for you, what is the best thing in the world for you? For me to tell you that. For me to tell you that. It's not bragging to say, you come to me, I'll cure cancer. That's not bragging. That's what you need to know. And in the same way, God being for His glory means God is for your good and healing and everlasting satisfaction and everlasting joy because it can only be found in Him. Are you with me? So when He glorifies Himself, He is saying, come to me. All who are weak and weary. He says, come to me sinners. Come to me broken. That's why His glory is so good. That's why we are about His glory. That's why we sing together to glorify His name, to show all those around us who are hurting and sinners like us that God is the source of all of our healing and He will someday heal everything forever. In fact, if this was true of me, what would be a grave evil? For me to shut myself up in my house and never come out. That would be evil. In the same way, it would be wrong and evil for God to shut Himself off, but instead God is ferocious about revealing His glory. The first thing, that was the first thing. Second thing, God's purpose in laying out, building our days is to glorify Himself, number one, and to glorify Himself by creating the greatest, listen to me, God's purpose is to create for you, His people, the greatest possible joy that could ever come to a group of people. God's purpose, number two, is to glorify Himself by making sure you have an eternity of glorious joy in Him. His purpose in these days is to make sure to build for you incredible, eternal glory. Romans 8.28 says it this way, All things work together for the good of those who love God 
and are called according to his purpose. God made those days out ahead of us so that he could glorify himself and so he could secure for us an eternity of joy beyond comprehension. All things, good days, joyous days, the days of adversity, all days will serve to glorify him and to bring us eternal good. Isn't that good news? So, consequently, because the future serves these purposes, because the future is about a person, in fact, one God and three persons, because it's about God and not about us, it's kind of smoky. What happens in our future depends on His will and not on some laws or rules about ways to live our life. That's what makes it smoky. The future is about the will of one God and three persons, not about laws or rules. So that means that, that my future is not like a uh, my future is not like a computer. I could sit down and go beep boop beep boop, plug in some stuff for my computer, and I know what's coming out of the printer on the other end. Are you with me? Because that computer deals with rules and laws and logic. Here we're going, we're going this way. People are different, aren't they? People are complicated. Husbands, can I hear an amen? Don't do it. That was a trick. Don't do it. People are complicated. People are smoky. And our future is about a person who has a will, and our future is smoky. Because the future hangs on God's will, and not laws or rules like a computer, we cannot, here we are church people, especially church people, because our future It's not like a computer written by laws and lived by laws and rules. Because our future is about a person, we cannot live righteously or wisely and be guaranteed the future that we want. Are you with me? Verse 15 says it this way In my vain life, I've seen everything. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness. And there's a wicked man who prolongs his life in evil doing. That doesn't seem right, does it? If life was about a, like a computer, we'd put in righteousness and we'd get a long and happy life and we'd put in wickedness and we'd die early. That's how Solomon says that's how it should work. But he says life is not like a computer. The future is smoky. We can put in righteousness and die young. Billy Joel was right. Only the good die young. You know, he wasn't all right. But. The good often die young. The evil often live long. Wisdom and righteousness do not guarantee a good future. That's not how it works. Wickedness does not guarantee earthly punishment. That's not how it works. These things are good though. Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Righteousness is good. 2 Timothy 3.16 says this, all Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for many things, including training in righteousness. Righteousness is good, but righteousness is not a computer program that will give us the kind of future that we are looking for. Wisdom is good. He even says it 
A little further down, he says, wisdom gives strength to the wise man. Wisdom is good, but wisdom does not guarantee a blessed future. Be wise. Wisdom does not guarantee a bright future. And so he's going to say this. So he's going to say this. So now that you know that the future is smoky, now that you know that that's true, don't be overly righteous, church. Now just in case, that's a weird thing for a preacher to say, just in case, let's read it one more time together. Let's read it one more Verse 16 is what the Bible says, right? Don't you... Whatever I say, take it with a grain of salt. You check it out with the Bible. It's what the Bible says. Verse 16. Be not overly righteous and do not make yourself too wise. Weird. Weird, right? Weird. What's he saying? Well, because the future is smoky and righteousness is not like a computer program that will spit out a bright future. Because this isn't true, this isn't the case, do not misuse righteousness or wisdom to try to bribe God for a bright future. Solomon knows church people, doesn't he? He says, look, that's not how the future works. That God doesn't work that way. Don't be so super righteous. Don't try to act in such a way that you force God to spit out a bright future for you because you're such a good person. Righteousness and wisdom misused to move God, to try to move God for a bright future is a pathetic bribe. Do not be, so do not be overly righteous. Meaning, don't be righteous for the wrong reasons. Don't be righteous because you think you, earn, you think you earn something from God. Do not be so obsessed with righteousness as a way to earn something from God. Do not be obsessed with righteousness in such a way that you want to earn something from God. Sometimes we can't do that says, if you want to earn something from God by being good, you can't be good enough. What does he say? Surely there's not a righteous man in the world who does good all the time. And that's what God desires, isn't it? Jesus tells us this. You want to know the standard for living? You want to, be, you want to know what kind of righteousness will earn something from God? Jesus says, be perfect like your Father in Heaven is perfect. Anybody fall into that category? No. Do not be overly righteous, church. It's like I kind of think of the older son in the parable, the prodigal son. You remember this story? You've got an older son and a younger son. The younger son breaks all the rules. He's the wicked one. He wishes his father was dead, but since he's not, he says, Dad, give me all my inheritance early. He runs off and squanders everything in sinful living. And he comes back when he realizes that path leads to destruction. He comes back with his tail between his legs, hoping beyond hope to be the father's slave. If life was like, if the future was like a computer, what would happen to that guy? He'd be dead. He's wicked. But instead, what does he find? He comes home and his father says, yes, my son is home. He was dead and now he's alive. Let's throw a party. Give him a ring. Give him a rope. Give him all these things. That breaks the computer. That's not how it's supposed to work. But that's how God works. Grace for the sinner. Mercy for the sinner. 
And what we see is we see an older brother who appears to be overly righteous. The older brother comes and sees the party that the sinner gets, and he says, Father, what are you doing? I've been here obeying the rules forever, and you need to give me what you gave him. I can't believe you did it on that guy who spent all his money on prostitutes. I've earned it. I've earned the glory through my righteousness. We get a sense that the older brother didn't really love the father, but he thought that righteousness and obeying his father would bring about a wealthy and prosperous future. But is that how the future works? No. Righteousness and wisdom cannot be used to bribe God for a bright future. Maybe if I obey all the rules... I will get God in my pocket and my life will be long and smooth sailing and I'll have a prosperous and I'll have prosperous joyous days. Solomon says you're crazy. I've seen righteous men die young. That's not how righteousness works. How do these things play out in, in churches? I think there's three ways that overly focus on righteousness to earn something from God, to earn a future from God works out in three ways. First way, the prosperity gospel. You've all heard it. You might not know if you've heard it. If you watched a preacher on TV a few times, I'm sure you've been encountered with the prosperity gospel. Prosperity gospel says this, if I follow the rules in the right way, God will work in my favor in the future. Meaning if I send the right pastor $100, God will repay me with lots and lots of money in the future. And the prosperity gospel says if life isn't going the way you want it to, if your life is rough right now, if life is beating you up, then you just don't have enough righteousness. Try a little harder and your future will be brighter. Solomon says, that's garbage. Try a little harder, you might be dead tomorrow. You don't know. That's not how God works. If this was true, who would be building the future? I would. If I want that new car, I'd just pray a little bit more. If I want that new car, I'd just come to church a little bit more. I'd just give a little bit more. What I'm saying is, if I could be super righteous, I could force God to act in my favor. Solomon says, you're a fool. That's not how it works. God is not our butler. God is not a giant pinata in the sky that if we hit it just the right way, candy will fall out. If you hear that, run. That's not from Jesus. Second thing, this is how it works out in churches. Works-based salvation. Super righteous people could get in their mind that if they're righteous enough, they will be saved. Super righteous, overly righteous people will say, I can work hard enough to be saved. No, we can't. That's why we need Jesus. Now here's the sneakiest one. You ready? Church, are you ready? Here's the sneakiest one. Sneakiest way that this idea gets into gospel-believing churches. Okay, Works-based salvation, but also works-based acceptance. It's a difference. Works-based acceptance is in churches and it says, the more righteous I am, the more accepted I am by God. Yeah, maybe I'm a Christian who knows I'm saved by grace through trusting Jesus, but I am liked by God when I am more righteous. You ever feel this? That is using righteousness to try to earn something from God. Here's the good news. Christian, 
you are fully 100% accepted by God. Are you with me? God loves you as much as He can, and He can love you infinitely. He accepts you 100% fully, totally right now. Do you know why? Because He accepts Jesus, and you are in Jesus. Are you with me? He's never accepted you for your righteousness, because you don't have any. Isaiah says your righteousness is like filthy rags to God. You are accepted because Jesus is righteous. He has, God has never touched your righteousness because you've got none. You're accepted. So church, we are accepted and liked and enjoyed by God because of Jesus, not our righteousness. Don't teach Sunday school because you think you earn something from God. Don't do it. So what does this mean for each other? Church, we must accept one another no matter the righteousness level. Are you with me? We need to love one another no matter how righteous. And that's a church that's going to see people saved. So don't be overly righteous. Don't try to use it to bribe God for a bright future. Don't do it. Don't be overly wise. But then what's the, what's the temptation then? The temptation then is to say, all right, well, I'm just going to be super wicked. I don't have to worry about it. I'm already excited about God. What, is, what does he say? He says, don't be super wicked. Don't be a fool. That leads to death, he says. Some of us hear this and we say, well, I don't need to pray. I don't need to read my Bible because I'm not accepted by God for any other reason through Jesus. No, those things we do, we just don't do them to earn favor from God. We do them because God is glorious. We want to read more about Him. And that could be hard because of my flesh, because I'm lazy often and all that. It could be hard. That doesn't make God accept me more. Don't be overly wicked. So what is the key then to living in a world where the future is smoke? If I can't earn God's favor by being super righteous or super wise, if I can't buy a bright future down, if it's still smoke, then how does a Christian live? How do I leave my bribes behind? How can I live not worrying about the future that I have no control over? Let's read verse 18 together. So we've talked about don't be overly righteous, don't be overly wicked. We've talked about all these things that it is good that you should take hold of this. Right? That righteousness, righteous people could die young, wicked people could live a long time, that God is in control of these things, it's smoky. It's good that you should take hold of this. And from that, withhold, not withhold your hand. Here we go. For the one who fears God shall come out from both of them. How do we live with a smoky future? Tremble before the Lord. Tremble before the Lord. The one who can live joyfully with a smoky future fears the Lord. The fear of the Lord allows the believer to live joyfully with a smoky future. 
That's another heart jostler, isn't it? What does it mean to fear the Lord? I think to fear the Lord means this, having such a deep respect and reverence for the character of God that we tremble at the thought of opposing His glorious will for our future. To fear the Lord is to know who He is, know who we are, and to have so much respect and reverence for who He is that we tremble at the thought that His will for our future could be thwarted. We tremble at that thought. Fearing the Lord, my favorite example is like Aslan, the Chronicles of Narnia. You know this story? The little girls are going to meet Aslan for the first time and, and, and find out that he's a lion. And the little girl goes to Mr. Beaver. She says, oh, he's a lion? Well, lions have teeth and claws. That's scary. I'd be scared of a lion. Is he tame? Mr. Beaver goes, tame? Pfft, anything about tame. No, he isn't tame. But he's good. He's the king. Aslan has teeth. He has claws. Aslan uses his teeth and his claws. Aslan does not use his teeth and his claws on his people. God is good. God is powerful. God has teeth and claws, but He is good. So how do we live with fear of the Lord? How do we live with smoky future and the fear of the Lord? Having such a deep respect and reverence for the character of God that we tremble at how glorious He is. That we tremble at His power to control every future second of your life. Do you tremble at that power? If you tremble at the power that He has controlled every second of your life, you will not tremble at what your life might hold. You will tremble at the power of God. Do you see the difference? Your boss doesn't have the power to control your future. Your enemy doesn't have the power to control your future. Your reputation isn't in their hands. It's in God's hands. And if we tremble at how awesome God's power is, we can live with a smoky future. Do we tremble at the thought that the God who built the universe, listen to me, He built the universe and He made it His job to bring you as much eternal good as possible. Do you tremble at that? Psalm 23, He is our shepherd. Shepherds protect and guide and help the sheep flourish. He has made it His job to be your shepherd. Do you tremble at that or you say, bah, of course he does. I'm a, good, I'm a good guy. Of course he wants to do that. Of course he wants to do that. In fact, I'm going to try to manipulate him to get a better, brighter future by righteousness. Is that, is, that, is that our response? Or do we tremble at the thought? Do we tremble that we have no righteousness of our own in our defense when we stand before God? Believers, even us, shouldn't we, shouldn't that jostle our hearts a bit? Yeah, we know Aslan loves us and Jesus has provided salvation and Hebrews says we can enter boldly into the presence of God now in Jesus. But shouldn't we think, boy, I'm a sinner. Shouldn't that make us tremble a little bit? 
Should we tremble? Yes, we should tremble that the precious Son of God was sent by His Father to be willingly sacrificed for our sins to secure for us an eternal future of immense joy. He was pierced for our sins. Isaiah 53 says, the punishment that has brought us peace was upon Him. Do we tremble at the thought that to be saved it took the blood of the Son of God? Do we tremble at that? Do we tremble? Or do we say, ah, I've heard, I know, I've heard it. I know the cross, I know the gospel. For, yeah, I moved on. Or do we stick to it and tremble? Do we tremble at the kindness that God has shown that everything we experience is being built for us a treasure in heaven? Do we tremble at His care for you that everything you will experience will turn out for your good? Do we tremble at the generosity of God that He has provided us a future of unending joy with Him in heaven? Do we tremble at these things? Your, the future, your future details are smoky. Christian, you cannot earn acceptance or a bright future in your righteousness or your wisdom. Your future is smoky. But that's okay. Because we know who made our future. We know who built. I know who built your future. I know, every, I know who put every nail in your future, every board up in your future, every wall, every steeple, every, every floorboard, every rock, every everything He has built your future and He is trustworthy. And His grace and His mercy and His justice should make us tremble. And when we tremble at who He is, we will not tremble at our smoky future. Do you know Him? I'm asking the worship team to come up. Do you know Him? Do you know Him well enough to tremble at who He is, the goodness of who He is? Christian, do you tremble at your smoky future? Or do you tremble at the goodness and mercy and power of the God who holds your future? Non-Christian. Non-Christian. Non-follower of Jesus. Your future is smoky. But Scripture says there's one thing that is sure for non-believers, non-followers of Jesus, that your ultimate future is not with God. All who are outside of Jesus, ultimate future means separated from God forever and eternity. Outside of Jesus, non-believer, the future holds no joy, no peace, no love. And so this church wants to ask you, in a moment we're going to sing a song together. It's our time of decision. No one's going to be looking at you. No one's going to be concerned with you. We're going to be worshiping God. We're going to be talking to God about our own hearts. But maybe your, today is your day to change your future. Maybe today is the day where you start following Jesus to a better future with God forever.
Maybe that's what you need to do today. Would you stand with us? And we call you, make a decision for Jesus today.